I'm Aaron Weintraub, and this is Inside Kurdistan. So this lead in music is different because our wonderful guest today, Boran Zaza, kindly provided it. Uh, this whole episode will come with more examples of some of her performances. And she's a wonderful pianist, so I'd just like to thank her up front for providing it. It's a real treat. Uh, this is another episode where I don't have much to say for Alidin because I'm not a musician and I don't have any background in musicology. Uh, so I'm just going to speak briefly about Boran. As I said, she's a concert pianist, now based out of Toronto, Canada, but originally from Syria, uh, who has dedicated a significant portion of her career towards capturing Kurdish music through classic piano performance, which traditionally caters to a more Western audience. Uh, And one of the things I found interesting when we spoke before was that she said that she only got invested in Kurdish music once she moved to Canada. We talk a lot about the differences between Western classic music and music from the region, uh, as well as what sets Kurdish music apart uh, from other kinds of music in the surrounding area. And, and she was kind enough to provide music samples to show me and you exactly how and why different forms of music sound distinct from one another and where she believes the mixing of Kurdish composition with Western classic music is going next. So if you're passionate about how music is made, this is the episode for you. Uh, so without any further ado, here's me and Boran. Boran Zaza, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Aaron. It's really a pleasure to be here today. So I wanted to start um, because you come from a musical family uh, and your your father in particular is somewhat of a, a prominent figure in the Syrian musical community, although not necessarily specifically just for composition. I was wondering if we could get into uh, a little more about your family's background uh, and then we can go into your background as well. Yes, absolutely. So uh, my dad is uh, Dr. Mohammed Aziz Zaza. So um, he is indeed, as you said, um, a prominent musical figure um, in Kurdish Syria and in Iraq and in the Middle East as a whole. He was one of the very first uh, people from the Middle East to get um, a doctorate in uh, musicology, the science in music. He went to study music um, after having started in Syria and uh, playing some um, Kurdish music, Armenian music, oriental music in general uh, on different instruments like uh, violin, oud, uh, jumbush, etc. After that, he moved to Prague in the Czech Republic, a place that I actually just got to visit a couple of months ago. um, And I was really impressed to see how he went all the way from that part of the world and integrated into a new society, um, different language, different culture. And he started studying there in the music conservatory and he studied guitar and composition because the teachers there found that his background in improvising uh, would make him a very good candidate to study composition. And also the fact that he played instruments like Jumbush would be close to guitar. So that was sort of his musical background. He he continued his studies there. He stayed there for 14 years in Prague. Um, He did a bachelor, master, and doctorate in uh, musicology there, performed a lot of concerts, uh, brought actually the Kurdish music there as well uh, with him. Um, And after that, he moved back to the Middle East. um, And uh, this is where my family history um, has a lot of moving around. So I was conceived in Algeria and spent the first five years of my life in uh, Libya uh, because my father, he started the Department of Music 
uh, in the university in Algeria. Then the, the civil war started there, so he had to move from there. He moved to Libya. He taught music there at university as well. And then he wanted to bring back all the knowledge that he had to uh, where he grew up in Qamishlo in Syria. So we moved back there as a family and he started a music institute. And he taught a lot of um, musicians there who, who went on to, to do great things, um, be it in Kurdish music or just in classical uh, composition as well. Um, and then in 2003, he was um, offered to start a music school in Erbil in Kurdistan. And that was when uh, we also, again, as a family moved there. Um, that was also at the time where I realized that I personally wanted to do music for, for the rest of my life. Um, so uh, I started to study music there and we will probably get in, into that in a bit. Um, but yeah, my father, he was definitely very influential in first making me aware of what, is, what it's like to, to have a career as a musician. Um, something that was quite unusual in that part of the world, especially for a woman. I don't think if I had any other dad that I would have been encouraged to do what I wanted to do. So I was very lucky in, in that way. And so you have also have a background in musicology, but you have focused on piano as your main instrument. Uh, could you tell me a little more about uh, uh, your own development? And also, how, how old were you uh, when you first got into uh, music in Erbil? So um, I think there are, there, there's two fold into this story. So there's when I started to study music with my father and it was mostly studying music theory, solfeggio, um, just mm -hmm. understanding how, how music works, um, how the theory behind it works. I was not a fan of the guitar, which was my dad's main instrument. <laughs> and it's something he always tells me is like, if only you would have chosen to play the guitar, <laughs> I would have been able to help you, help you so much. But I saw piano on TV at some point in my life and I thought, ah, that's... That's the king of instruments. That's what I want to play. Um, when I we, when we lived in Syria, you know the the situation was was hard, and we lived in a city where there were literally no pianos or or piano teachers, so it was impossible to start that back then. Uh, but then when we moved to Erbil, that was when the um, it seemed like there was hope for me to to pursue what I wanted. So I enrolled in the Institute of Fine Arts in Erbil. I was 15 years old at the time, which is actually considered to be very late uh, for someone to mm -hmm. start studying piano if you want to get into a, a professional level. But you know, I was I was lucky. I was I was well surrounded. Um, I was very passionate about it. I practiced so much, you know, maybe eight hours a day every day for for a few years. So I managed to to catch up. Um, after that, I had a bit of a, of a traumatizing experience. So I auditioned for a music school in Turkey. Um, I was rejected, but like a sort of a very, very harsh rejection, you know, the kind of rejection where you're told, what are you even doing with your life? You're, oh you're, you're really behind. You really should do something else. And that was when I stopped playing piano for a whole year and uh, moved to Lebanon. And I started to study musicology because I thought, OK, maybe I need to find a different relationship with music. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you're studying musicology, you still learn your instrument, but it's not the main focus. Your main focus is to study the music theory. And actually that was really fantastic because in Lebanon, um, there is a great um, methodology of teaching not only classical music, but also of teaching theory of Oriental music, Lebanese music, Armenian music. So that really contributed to my growth as a musician as a whole. 
Um, and after that, I got back into into playing piano um, thanks to a teacher who like heard me um, practicing in a in a practice room and told me, oh, you know, you should pursue this. So, you know, it's just a story of some people in certain points in your life can make or break you in a way um, when you're still trying to find your way. And that teacher really helped me just realize that if it's something that I want to do, then I don't need to wait for someone to tell me that I'm able to do it and I need to just pursue it and, and, and do it. So that was how I got back into playing piano. And then after I, I finished my studies in musicology in Lebanon, um, I applied for universities around the world and ended up studying more piano at McGill University, which is one of the finest music schools in, in North America. So, you know, just different moments in my life where I had doubts about being a pianist, being a musician, but always kept that relationship one way or another with music. I think, uh, well, uh, and since you have this background in musicology, I'd actually like to ask about, I think generally, uh, why don't we start with talking about regional music, oriental music, and, and, and compare it to, I guess, what we could call Western classic music. And I was wondering if you could break down in really the most basic terms possible for people like me who don't have a, a classic music background. Uh, uh, could you break down what kind of differences there are in composition between these two styles of music? Yeah, absolutely. So um, in the 16th century, um, Western classical music had something that was that defined how classical music was composed for the years after that, which was equal temperament, which means it's a tuning system um, in which an octave, so the seven notes, the do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, si, um, are divided into 12 semitones of an equal size. So this is something that allowed Western classical music to have harmony, which is putting one note above another, above another, and making different chords. Uh, while in Oriental music, um, the music is very melodic. Um, it doesn't go by octaves, but rather uses different modes. And each mode is around three to four notes. There is one mode that is also um, five notes. So it's going in much smaller intervals that are then put next to each other. Um, and we use quarter notes in uh, in the oriental music. So I think that's like the, the main difference that just made those different types of music go different ways, which is why in classical music you have harmony, uh, counterpoint, while oriental music is much more uh, melodic. And you've given us a recorded example of the difference between scales and modes, so I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and play that now. So each maqam is made up of what we call ragaz, two of them in each maqam. We call it ragaz in Kurdish and jins in Arabic. So ragaz, we have quite a few of them. You've probably heard about some of them. Um, Hijaz, Bayat, uh, Sabah, Nahawand. Each ragaz is made up of four notes for the most part. Um, for example, we have the Nahawand. It sounds a lot like the Western minor scale. There is one ragaz that is made up of five notes and we call it negris. So one, two, three, four, five notes. While in Nahawand we had four notes. One, two, three, four. Thanks for that. Uh, what other differences are there? There is also a difference in terms of 
the rhythms. So oriental music being something that is uh, melodic and somehow um, more, more simply um, composed uh, if we look at textures, um, as a result, if we look into the rhythms, they are much more complex. So I think it's, it depends if we're looking at the music sort of horizontally or vertically when we're comparing um, uh, Western classical music and Oriental music. So Western music is something that we'd look uh, more into vertically with uh, a lot of uh, notes being played at the same time, while Oriental music would be something we look at horizontally. So um, uh, a melody with, with, with oftentimes a complex rhythm. You've also given me here a pre-recording that puts these rhythmic differences on display a little better, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and play that as well. We can think about the Western classical music um, in terms of something that is more vertical because we have chords that are constructed of a few notes that together make harmony. So, for example... This is much more common sound in Western classical music, while in Oriental music, in Kurdish music, we would hear something much more melodic. So we think about it much more um, vertically instead of horizontally. So it would sound something like this. Now the beauty is when we break down the harmony of classical music and add to it the melodies of Kurdish music, then you end up with something like this. Also, what was the role of music in the lives um, of people? You know, so for example, if we talk uh, about music from even in Mid Asia or about Kurdish music or in different places, um, a big function of it was storytelling and making sure that the culture gets passed down from generation to generation. Um, while in the Western classical music, it was very, very religious. Um, it uh, it evolved a lot in the church. So it, it just, it served a different um, function. And of course, over the years, because of that fundamental difference of the tuning system, each music, of course, went in a, in a different direction. And I think personally speaking, like with my own background with Oriental music, uh, which is admittedly, again, very limited, but I think it's representative of a lot of people's grasp of music here. Uh, it comes from uh, Turkish orchestras, uh, and Turkish music and Kurdish music are geographically so intertwined. I was wondering if you could give me some insight on how uh, classic Kurdish music borrows and is borrowed from uh, Turkish music specifically. Yeah, I think there would be a lot of debate about that one on who borrowed from whom. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think we need to recognize that the music um, in the Middle East in general, it's very close to one another. I, I, I was talking about this yesterday to my to my father actually and uh, we had this example of hummus for example this uh, very delicious plate that every nationality like you go to someone Palestinian or Syrian or Lebanese and they would swear to you that it comes from them um, I think at some point there is a beauty of this um, um, sort of the the mix of cultures mm -hmm. and me for me personally I yes there is something that's very distinct about Kurdish music 
was it borrowed from other cultures? Was it, I, I, I wouldn't call it that. I would call it just that because geographically they were close, um, there was just an exchange, I would say, of, of culture. But if we look more, um, if we zoom in more into what is actually different, um, there is something unique about the instruments that Kurdish music uses that is not used in, in uh, other cultures. For example, you have the zurna, the dahol, the blur, the tambur. Those are really specific to, to Kurdish music and Kurdish culture. So when you're listening to music and you hear those instruments, then you can be sure um, that this is Kurdish music. There is also a difference in terms of what kind of modes are being used, which we talked about earlier. So mm -hmm. those sort of four notes um, uh, next to each other, um, uh, what they are and how they modulate from one mode to a different mode. So again, I think at first it might sound the same, but it's actually very, there are subtle differences and each culture uses certain modes much more than others. So for example, in Kurdish, you would use the bayat. Uh, this is like really uh, instrumental, if I may say, in, in Kurdish music. Uh, and in terms of rhythm, the Georgina rhythm is very um, present in Kurdish music. So I think, yes, they are very close. Um, there, there might be a lot of things that are similar in the compositional styles, but there are also some subtle differences that can make us uh, distinguish where they, where they come from. And even within Kurdish music, you know, you have the more Sorani culture and you have the more Badini culture. And even Absolutely. within those, you have differences in what they sound like and what kind of modes they will use and, and how they will modulate and what kind of text will be, uh, will be with it. Um, one thing I can say for sure about Kurdish music is that vocal music is, is very prominent and very important and instruments are secondary. And I think that what happened with Turkish music and the way it evolved over the years uh, and with the rise of a lot of Turkish people having access to a quality music education um, and uh, also being inspired by the Western classical music, they were able to really go far in developing the instrumental part of that. And I think that's where Kurdish music um, is drawing inspiration from the Turkish experience. And something you mentioned earlier uh, was the, the tradition of storytelling. Uh, and so there are different themes and tropes uh, to pay attention to, I think, in any culture's music. Uh, I was wondering if you could give me some of the different feelings that come up frequently in Kurdish music. I would say that the feeling that comes up the most and it just defines the culture, uh, the Kurdish culture generally is melancholy. That is a theme that is really present in any type of Kurdish music or even with the Chirok Bej, uh, the, the storytellers. Um, but there is also the very festive part, which is all of the wedding music kind of thing, the festive music that uh, we have Kurdish dances uh, that go uh, along with it. So I would say, yeah, absolutely melancholy is the number one <laughs> mood in both uh, the, the way the music is composed and in the, um, the types of uh, lyrics that go as well with the, um, with the music. Uh, secondary to that as well, there is just this aspect of passing on the knowledge from generation to generation. So there are songs about work, there are songs about different seasons, etc. And you also mentioned actually when we spoke before about how specifically uh, Kurdish uh, music has a, a link to harvest. 
Yes, absolutely. So you had yeah people, and I think this was more much more prominent as well in the Sorani music. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have all of those songs that were being sung while people were were harvesting as well. When we talk about melancholy, it's interesting because uh, when we're talking about like a, a specifically a diasporic population and the importance of tra- uh, passing along stories, I was wondering when you first got into Kurdish music uh, when you were abroad in Canada. Do you think that you embraced that more when you were farther away from the region? Absolutely. I think this is um, a very true um, observation from your end. Um, uh, I remember when I was living in Kurdistan, in Erbil, I I took Kurdish music for granted because it was played everywhere around me. You know, I didn't even realize that I was listening to it, even though I wasn't actively listening to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, be it in the restaurant or in the cab going somewhere or even at school or just in a gathering at home where we're just uh, we'd have some singers come over and my dad would play and they would sing um, when I moved here um, I suddenly realized how deprived I was of all of that and that it was something that did mean something to me and there was also the question of trying to define who I am and what difference or what else do I bring to the conversation when it comes to music and classical music and just being a musician in general Um, as a classical pianist I mean let's face it there were so many other pianists that were so much better than me here you know who have had access to a great education since they were kids they've done all the competitions they've done all the summer academies and it was something that I just simply never had access to do Um, so I started to look something that would distinguish my voice as an artist and that was when I started to be more interested in oriental music in general but in Kurdish music specifically Um, it just I I realized that the fact that it's so natural to me is actually something really unique and powerful Mm -hmm. and that was when I started to integrate more Kurdish music into my repertoire and I must say that it was a bit of a of something that's not easy to do given the fact that I'm a pianist. Piano is one instrument where it uses the equal temperament um, tuning system and all the music is written with harmony usually. So it was really uh, difficult to translate that very melodic, rhythmically complex Kurdish music into the piano. But um, what is wonderful is that nowadays we have Um, very talented Kurdish musicians who studied in great music schools um, abroad who were able to actually translate that music you know myself I am not a composer I am a performer Um, so it's really wonderful that right now there are uh, composers out there who do translate that uh, music into something that sounds really beautiful um, on the piano so recently uh, for Nauroz, I uh, recorded um, a song that is called Nauroz by Hassan Zirak, um, which was transcribed for piano by Brahim Shekho, which was actually a student of my father back when we lived in Qamishlo in Syria. Oh, and wow. after that, he went on to study composition in Germany and publish a book called A Selection of Kurdish Songs for Piano. And that was the one I that I recorded. So, you know, like, Somehow it it all came, yeah, it um, comes full around circle. in a certain full circle, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And I was really happy about the reception of of that uh, performance because I think Kurdish people are ready to to hear music that is more sort of relaxing on the piano, for example, just something that is with the change of lifestyle as well that has become, let's admit it, a bit more westernized. 
you know, I think the idea of having some piano music at the end of the day um, is something that is more and more appealing for people. So there is now a greater influence of Kurdish musicians and composers internationally due to this diasporic element in the community. Do you think this element has inspired more Kurdish-focused composition internationally in the more recent generation? I think that uh, there is definitely a rise, and I think where the, the rise is not quite uh, balanced yet is that we have the composers, but not necessarily the performers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for example, I know that Brahim Shekho's music has been mostly performed by fantastic musicians in Germany, um, but there's something missing, you know, like they're playing the right note at the right time. But there's something missing, and I think that comes from just the being brought up in a different culture and having that connection to that melancholy that uh, exists in Kurdish music, to that pain that has been passed down from generation to generation. Um, so I think that the rise of compositions is fantastic. And I think that more and more uh, Kurdish, young Kurdish people are having access to music education, which is great. And I think that through this, Kurdish music has a, a chance to become more international. I think that if I would play Nowruz by Hassan Zirak to a Canadian person, like original version recording from, uh, you know, tens of years ago, that would be way too much of a cultural shock. Mm -hmm. But if I lure them in with a recording of that song on the piano, an instrument that they know and they've always heard, um, from there, they might be ready to listen to that original version. You can so I think them. it's just about, yeah, <laughs> easing people into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, and with that, I was wondering, what are you hoping to do with your own performances with uh, just in general with uh, Kurdish music, but also just in general, like how are you hoping to develop your craft in the future? So one project um, that I am still like, it's still um, I'm still thinking about it, uh, about the logistics of how to do it. But um, I would really love to record um, a CD of Kurdish music on the piano. It's something that does not exist yet to my knowledge um, and I think that the future of Kurdish music would not be just by me going and performing once in front of a small group of people but rather if it's recorded and then a lot of more people have access to it then that's something that would make uh, a much bigger impact I think and uh, and yeah get Kurdish music heard and one other thing as well I'm passionate about is coupling music with a beautiful visual as well um, so making sure that there is a nice video as well that goes with that, something that conveys other elements of the Kurdish culture. So I think, yeah, my, uh, my projects are probably a bit more interdisciplinary, um, more recording, um, something that would stay for, for years to come, and then that's more accessible for a lot of people. Well, Boran Zaza, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Aaron. This has been a very pleasant conversation and thank you so much for shedding light on Kurdish music. Thank you, uh, Baran Zaza, for uh, talking with me and sharing your music with me as well. And thanks to our audience for listening in. I have included a link to Boran's website in the description below if you want to check out any more of her work, uh, which I would thoroughly recommend. Inside Kurdistan is brought to you by the Kurdistan Information Network, and you can visit us at kurdistanin.net. 
Be sure to follow us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have any questions or comments on this episode or any other episode, be sure to reach out to us at info at curtisdanin.net. I've been Aaron Weintraub, and this has been Inside Curtis Dan. Curtis Dan.